You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 242 of Podcateers. This last week, there was a massive sports event that resulted in, that's right, new trailers for Avengers Endgame and Toy Story 4. And in this episode, we talk about what purpose do those trailers serve? We talk about the new Mickey popcorn buckets, Project Stardust, and Gavin tells us about Disney and sci-fi movies. It's a jam-packed episode, so we need to get things started. But before we do, I'd like to send a shout-out to the FGP squad for their support in making these episodes of Podcateers possible via their support on Patreon. For more info on how you can become part of the FGP squad, you can head on over to podcateers.com FGP. Also, a quick shout-out to the good folks over at the Die Hard Disney Nuts Facebook fan group. They're an awesome group of Disney nerds that has always been super supportive of the podcast, and we just want to say thank you with a special thanks to Ron and Mel. Uh, As always, if you hear something that you'd like to comment on, you can join the conversation by dropping us a message on the blog post for this episode at podcateers.com slash 242, or by connecting with us on Facebook, Instagram, or on Twitter, just search for Podcateers. If you like the YouTube, you can check out our channel. Just search for Podcateers. We would love it if you took a moment to subscribe and make sure to hit that notifications bell for notices when we upload new videos. And that's it. It is time to get this episode started. Here is episode 242 of Podcateers. So, I would say about half an hour ago, 45 minutes ago, an hour ago, I don't know, whenever the superb owl thing finished, uh, <laughs> people were going nuts, celebrating. Really? A, lot of, a lot of Patriots fans around? I, I guess. I guess. Weird. You would figure that, you know, if the Rams had won, they would be celebrating, but I guess there are some Patriot fans around here, hmm. and there was some celebrating going on. Okay. Uh, for all you sports fans out there, by now you know that the New England Patriots are your superb owl winners for the year. And uh, yeah, I- I'm assuming that for the next two weeks we're going to be hearing, well, Tom Brady cheated. He's a cheater and he's great at cheating. And the only reason they won is because he cheated. And, you know, let the games begin, <laughs> I guess. Uh, see, that's weird, though, because I don't know how the heck you can have fireworks going off when it's freaking pouring cats and dogs here. Yeah, it is. I didn't know that this kind of rain happened in Southern California. <laughs> I moved here to get away from this kind of rain. I want summer back. What you bring I with you? I want summer. Dude, this is dumb. We were so fine until you got rain. here, dude. Look, I understand we need some hydration and, you know, there's drought scenarios, but dude, I'm done with the rain. Oh, so am I. Trust me. (laughs) Of all of us, I am probably the most done with it right now. (laughs) I don't know, man. This is just, it's just silly. As soon as I think it's done, nope, it's kicking off again. Yeah. More rain. You know, one thing, I keep seeing people post all these Instagram photos from the park 
And I know a lot of those photographers, they have like cameras that are weather resistant. And I wish Mm -hmm. that my gear was also weather resistant so I can take the same type of photos. The Mm -hmm. only weather resistant camera I have with me is my phone. Mm. Better than mine. (laughs) I mean, uh, there, there are times when I don't have my regular gear that I subscribe to the theory of uh, the, the best gear you have with you is the one you have at you know your disposal at the time so it's like all right cool i got my cell phone i could do it then <laughs> but when you're trying to take something like yeah. really nice and you have the lenses and everything to go along with it i don't subscribe to that theory i subscribe to the theory of man i wish my gear was weatherproof <laughs> see i didn't i didn't know there was such a thing and what i'm picturing right now is you know you pull out your camera and you push a button and a little flash pops up and then you push another button and a little umbrella <laughs> pops out and covers your No, that's your exactly camera. how it works. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I figured that might be the case. And depending on the size of the umbrella, there's a third button that you press and a little tiny person pops up and holds a bigger umbrella. <laughs> Dude, <laughs> technology. It's going places. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just the weather ceiling on there. Depending on the type of gear that you have, uh, it it makes it so that when everything assembles, that water cannot leak in because of the types of seals that are around, like, all the moving parts. So that's all it is. And unfortunately, my gear is just not that type of gear. So I can't go out and shoot in the rain. Wah, wah, wah. Can we say one day? One day. One One day. day. Looking forward to it. In the meantime, I just have to settle for the for the sunny and the cloudy days. So it's okay. all yeah. Good. One day the sun will come back out. The sun will come up tomorrow. Tomorrow, <laughs> then I'll go to Disneyland shoot photos. Nice. So Super Bowl's over. I hope everybody's happy about the outcome. I know there's just going to be a back and forth over and over. Well, the Rams weren't supposed to be in there because the Saints got robbed. And now they're in there and they couldn't even do it. (laughs) And Brady cheated. It's going to be all over the Espen, man. I know already. For somebody who doesn't follow sports, (laughs) man, you're really up on this story. (laughs) What? Nah. I mean, come on. I don't know. I'm actually always excited about the outcome of the Super Bowl because for me, the outcome is finally we can shut up about football and focus on basketball, a real sport. No, 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 yeah. no, no. It, It's Forget baseball. It. Spring training's baseball. not even here yet. Go away with your baseball. Baseball just started. No. Finally, it's back. <laughs> and look, <Go> blue. <laughs> nothing matters in baseball until like August. So go away. Nope. Let basketball happen now. Nope. <laughs> and look, for all you baseball fans out there, especially in the in the Southern California area, if you're a Dodger fan or an Angel fan, I'm just going to put the link podcateers.com slash gear out there for you because we happen to have two t-shirts that hey, they're really are, cool. are inspired by those team logos, uh, but they happen to say podcateers. So, you know, if you want to support that local team and you want to support us and the Freeway Series somehow... Get them both. I don't know. Whatever you want. Just just get them both. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. By the way, by the way, since we're uh, in the gear section and we're talking about T-shirts right now. Yes. Can I just tell he you wants to get it away how from in love I am with the new Hitchhiking Ghost shirt? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, my oh. gosh. Yes. It came out so good. Well, I worked really hard on that. So thank you. Yeah, thank yeah. You. No, no. <laughs> thanks, man. Thanks. I'm glad you did. <laughs> Uh, oh, man. no, it's yours and it's amazing. <laughs> uh, yeah, when I ordered the sample, I thought, man, you know, if this turns out great, 
uh, cool, we'll put it up in the gear section. And if not, I have a really cool one-of-a-kind design. And I got it, and I opened it, and I was like, I gotta put this on. And yeah. I'm not about the t-shirts usually, but the fact that this one just looks so good, it felt right to me. I just It just felt so snugly, and it's got the hitchhiking ghost. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, head over to podcasters.com slash gear. Check out the brand new hitchhiking ghost shirts. And if you just happen to be listening to this podcast on launch week uh, until Saturday, February 9th, if you use the code hitchhike uh, while you're checking out, you'll get 10% off your entire order. So That's let's take awesome. advantage yeah. You can get the two baseball shirts we were just talking about <laughs> along with the hitchhiking goes. And the coupon is actually good for anything that you purchase. If you want to purchase a hoodie, a sweatshirt, a long sleeve version of that design, the regular short sleeve version, it's all there. So, uh, yeah, check it out. I posted it on Instagram last week, and I think the most surprising comments again were like, what, you're wearing a T-shirt again? <laughs> for people that have been following the podcast for a while or people that know me just know that I'm I'm not a big t-shirt guy. Like the t-shirt really has to speak to me. This was one of those t-shirts that I was just super happy to wear. So I was yeah, I was super excited about it. So I have a question. Yeah. Are we able to do glow in the dark? Oh my god. Prints? Oh, dude, because I, I wish think we that's could, the man. only thing that would plus this shirt. I you wish my we mind. could, <laughs> right? I think that would be. Uh, I wonder if we could just go in with like some glowy paint and just trace those shapes. I think we could. It's possible. I think, it I think once the print is done, we can go in and manually just highlight. We'll have to charge a like, premium all the contours, for some hand yeah. embellished shirts. <laughs> um, popcorn buckets, guys. This weekend, Disney launched that steamboat willie inspired popcorn bucket they also launched the mickey's knickers popcorn bucket all i could think of was hey look they found something to do with the rest of the balloons from the 60th anniversary wait what did they look like the balloons i don't remember those yeah for the 60th anniversary they made like the different color balloons they had the blue one red one yellow depending on what land you purchased it in mm -hmm. and i mean we have one it's hanging in our living room. They have the same shape. And uh, it just looks, it, it looked funny to me that that's what it looked like, that it was just painted over with the old shell of the Mickey balloons. Because they're Got very it. distinct. Like the ears are kind of oblongy. They're not completely round. And so that was the only thing that really stood out to me. Uh, right. With that said, oh, man, I want one. I want one Which bad. one? The I want Steamboat the Steamboat Willie one. Yeah, I do you like that, that one, one better than the one that we got from the theater in Mexico? No, not at all. That one was better, right? <laughs> That's yeah. what I was going to say. The one that yeah, Mel that was got really me. cool. Yeah, the the one that Mel got me, I think, is way better than this one because yeah. uh, it's a lot rounder. It's it's a little stumpier, but it looks like like a Mickey head. Basically, this mm -hmm. looks like a painted balloon to me. Nonetheless. Okay. I love Steamboat Willie, and I kind of sure. want it. I could understand that. Did you? <laughs> <laughs> did you guys see the lines for it? Yes. No. No. Oh In the gosh. rain too. Did they? Did they put limits on the purchases or not? Yeah, no. twenty-seven per person. <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah. So it lasted for five minutes. No, nah, it was about three and a half. But yeah, about okay. yeah. Okay. 
Yeah. So yeah. It had all a good worked run. out. <laughs> it all wow. worked so out. So they're on eBay for $84.75. Okay. All right. $84. Cool. For a price Have a magical of a day. <laughs> yeah. You know what the other thing that they recently sold that made us a little upset was uh, the Mickey cups. The ones that look like the little party hat Mickey for Mickey's birthday last year. Oh, the sippers? Lynette, yeah, the sipper. Lynette had gone and stood in line for a couple hours to get two of these because we were going to do an auction for one of the charity events that we were going to do. I wanted one for myself. They they told us that day that it was unique to Mickey's birthday and that they were never going to sell this. Oh, Disney yeah. put it out on Twitter saying, this is a one-day-only thing. We're never going to bring this back. Take advantage. One per person. And they started selling it again in the park. So They must have had a crap ton left over. What's up? Yeah, usually those things go to Company D. Right. What's, just, what is Company D? Like, I've heard that, but I don't know what it is. It's a uh, it's a cast member store. That's oh, basically, that's right. So a lot of the items in the parks, if they don't really sell, they go there. And then you would have to be a cast member to go in and purchase whatever's there at the time. Okay. At a pretty nifty discount. So they get bad. all of the exclusive stuff, right, at Company D? Because all the other park merchandise makes its way to the outlet stores. It depends. It depends yeah. on what doesn't sell per hmm. se. All right. Yeah. And how much they have left. Right. Yeah. Hmm. So rose gold ears available everywhere right now outside of the parks. <laughs> I'm sure. That's because it's all about that new purple. What's it called again? Potion purple. Potion, Potion purple. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of dig it. <laughs> <laughs> it's a color that they don't really use for merchandise all that much unless it's mansion related. So well, they are the now. Fact that they're, yeah. The fact that they're branching out outside of the mansion with that color, I think is super cool. Yeah. When they come around to some sort of crazy like rainbow iridescent orange then I'm going to get all the things. Oh, you're going to melt, dude. I, I can already <laughs> feel it. When I saw your Space Mountain, I was like, oh, of course it's orange. <laughs> Which, by I the way, help it. super cool Space Mountain, dude. Yeah. Oh, thanks, dude. If you guys don't know what I'm talking about, on Gavin's Instagram account, he posted one of his newest 3D printable things. <laughs> and it's his own Space Mountain. And it looks stupendous thanks dude so i'm waiting for that uh kingdom hearts key that we're gonna i'm debating whether or not to make like a custom podcateers kingdom hearts keyblade that could be cool yeah yeah be nice and then we can make like design yeah i i think if we design like five of them well one design but made five of them and then we auction them off as one-of-a-kind items Mm-hmm. I think they would be super cool as auction pieces for some of the fundraising events that we do. I dig yeah, it. totally. So let's let's put a pin in that one and and go back to an offline conversation <laughs> on that one. All right, <laughs> <laughs> we'll do it. All right. Well, before we continue, just want to remind you that this episode of Podcasters is brought to you by some amazing people that we like to call our podcast fairy godparents, but they like to call themselves the FGP Squad. So to all of our podcast fairy godparents, we just want to send an 
a, a huge thank you to all of you because it's your contributions via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible. So if you want information on how you can join the FGP squad, just head on over to podcateers.com slash FGP. Uh, so yeah, crazy lines in the parks. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of construction going on in the parks right now. As you guys know, Sleeping Beauty Castle is currently uh, behind boarded walls because it's being gussied up before the opening of Galaxy's Edge. You know what? The uh, bricks look good, though. The the bricks on the, the castle. Yeah. I finally got to see them. I'm like. Wow, like they kind of, they pop out a little bit more. So I can't wait for the reveal. Yeah, so Kim Irvine, who has been part of a few of the last, I don't want to call them redesigns of the castle, but just replussings of the Mm -hmm. castle, including the 60th anniversary. She's been in charge of what it's going to look like and kind of that new look that it gets every time that they go through this process. Uh And... Uh, This time around, she had talked about how they're going to do a lot more painting from the ground up so that it's darker on the bottom and lighter at the top to force more perspective to make it look like it's taller. And they're going to do it with painting. So they're going to add some shadows and highlights where they weren't before uh, to really push that effect through, which I think is super cool. I think it's one of the things that Imagineering does really well. When it comes to uh, giving these uh, these structures that height, you know, perspective yeah. look that they mm-hmm. have, and and I know that this last week regarding the the castle being behind these construction walls and everything, uh, I think this last week the term Project Stardust popped up for a lot of people, and people were going crazy about Project Stardust. Uh, well, I'm going to tell you guys, Project Stardust is not new. It became new to a lot of people because the project name was kind of put out in the open when a couple of news venues caught wind of the project name. But Project Stardust has actually been going on for a really long time. The brick lane in Main Street, a lot of the planter removals that's been happening around the parks, the widening of the areas, going back to when in Inside of Adventureland, they removed one of the stores next to the Mango Barbecue and made it all seating area. Mm-hmm. The Tropical Hideaway, uh, making the the Bazaar Imports right next to the Jungle Cruise, dedicated stroller parking. All of that has actually been part of Project Stardust, which is kind of ironic because for you Star Wars fans out there, Project Stardust was technically the name of the project to build the Death Star. So I don't <laughs> know if that's the best name to call this <laughs> but i guess it was comprised of star for star wars and dust for pixie dust yeah that's how they kind of ah. talked about it um yeah. but yeah project stardust building a death star just throwing that out there <laughs> that would be awesome if they built a death star. like uh like do you remember um several years ago when they projected the death star image on spaceship earth yeah and it yes. was so amazing so cool how cool I would it remember, be to have a park with an actual Death Star? Ah, uh, dude, for real. <laughs> there was a photo that I posted on Instagram that I remember imposing a Death Star behind Sleeping Beauty Castle. Mm-hmm. 
And I remember it's it's been one of my favorite photos of the castle that I've posted. If you guys haven't seen it, I'll post it in the blog post for the episode, podcasters.com slash 242, if you guys want to check it out. It was a simple edit, but I just thought, oh, man, wouldn't it be cool if we just saw this in the background? The answer was yes. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Project Stardust, again, it's been around for a really long time, and... Uh, there's a lot of changes that we've seen around the park that normally we wouldn't have thought were a part of Project Stardust, but everything that's been happening in preparation for Galaxy's Edge has been part of that project. Every queue that's been moved, the Dumbo queue uh, getting a shaded area, It's a Small World getting a shaded queue, the queue for the Matterhorn going in front of the Matterhorn versus around like we're used to seeing it. Um, uh, what else did they move? Um, By the way, I don't know if we ever talked about that, but they did a great job with that queue and the oh, new it's gorgeous. elements that are there. It's yeah. really well done, and it doesn't feel like it sticks out or is out of place with the rest of the attraction. Yeah. It doesn't really, feel like it wasn't always there. I know. Really great job with that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what else did they do? Oh, the, the small world queue? Did you the say The small that? world queue, yeah. And then also they put... Uh, the Space Mountain queue inside of the Starcade. Oh, oh yes. yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. that that's all been part of this massive project, and it's a huge undertaking. But I think uh, there was something that I had read about how they have this new way of managing and balancing out these projects, where instead of taking them months or years to pull them off, they're getting done in record times because they're just managing them like they've never done before. And I mean, kudos to the the teams that are doing this because being able to restructure Disneyland in a way that feels true to the park yet is expanding walkways, uh, moving seating areas to things like you know, the tropical hideaway, you know, for instance, and removing these giant planters and relocating these, this foliage that we've seen around the park for so long. Ah, man. And to leave it open in such a way where guests can still enjoy being in the park. Bravo. Oh, yeah. I can say. Bravo. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Definitely. Uh, So, yeah. So, in case you guys were wondering why the term uh, Project Stardust just kind of started blowing up on your feet all of a sudden, and everybody started talking about Project Stardust is now finally underway. It's been underway for a really long time. I I just don't think we've made light of the fact that it was called Project Stardust. We just knew that all these things were happening, and Disney very slowly started connecting the dots and just kind of revealed that it's all been part of it for a really long time. So case you're wondering now you know <laughs> boom 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 well i am today years old knowing about this project name <laughs> I, I i must have been living under a rock because i did i didn't know so i learned something new oh really <laughs> yes i I'm, I'm happy about it and i'm happy the changes are happening I'm excited to see the reveal, just like Mel said earlier. I can't wait to see what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. So, New photo ops, not in the rain with my current gear. <laughs> <laughs> just need that little umbrella button. Uh, so do, I have some questions about the castle. Are they just 
updating the facade or are there any sort of interior infrastructure changes actually happening with the castle? I don't think they can do a lot of infrastructure changes to the castle without uh, without really blocking the area for much longer than they're going to be blocking okay. it up. So it's basically just cosmetic. Correct. Okay. The, the structural changes are happening more around the Fantasyland area where mm-hmm. some of the planters have been reduced. So the footprint of where the foliage is, where the trees are, are either being completely removed to allow crowds to flow through a little bit better mm-hmm. or they're being shrunken down. One of the biggest changes that that you'll notice is that now it feels like there's not not dedicated stroller parking, but it feels like more dedicated stroller parking next to Pinocchio. Yeah. And so a lot of that is because they took out some of the seating areas and stuff that was around there. You'll notice it also in, in front of the mansion. They took out the, the seats that were in front of the brick wall next to the mansion. Oh, really? Yeah, just to allow for hmm. a little bit more walking room. Interesting. Um, what else did they take out? In Frontierland, I think they they reduced the sizes of where all the trees and the rocks are. Mm-hmm. So they don't have like the little islands where all that stuff is in the middle as you're walking through Frontierland. The footprint of those areas is a lot smaller than it used to be, just again yeah. to allow more people. So, yeah, not not much structural change to the castle itself. It's a lot of cosmetic stuff, but, okay. you know, every every few years... You know, it gets yeah, I just wondered because I kept seeing the word refurbishment tied to it. And that usually means something more extensive than new paint job. Right. But uh, I didn't see any details. So I didn't think there was anything more happening. But I didn't know if, mm. you know, Hazen, who's been on in on Project Stardust from the beginning, knew anything I didn't know. <laughs> no, no. I mean, I've, I've been in on the projects. Uh, let's see. They started it X amount of years ago, and I found out about it, I don't know, about a year after. <laughs> uh, when Bobby called me and he asked me if it was cool if they started Project Stardust, I said, right, you know what, right. man? You know what you're doing, bro. Handle it. You said, as and long as it like, doesn't compete with Gavin's Tron attraction, then you're golden, Bobby. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was super happy to hear that, too, because okay, he's like, cool. man, if, if I have your sign-off and Gavin's sign-off, we're good to go, man. Sweet. So I'm he's wondering, like, because the uh, pink teacup has been removed by yeah. the Mad Hatter, so I'm wondering, is that part of the you project? Know, that's a good question, because there's certain things that I feel... Uh, don't necessarily obstruct people walking by. The teacup is one of them because it's kind of tucked away. Mm -hmm. Uh, But things like Mr. Toad's car do obstruct because it's kind of just sitting out there. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's certain things that I feel can remain in place. Uh, I know every so often they take out some of those things to just give them a fresh coat of paint. And hopefully we'll see it back. It's a great photo op. Uh, I don't think it's very uh, obtrusive, but, you know, time will tell. Yeah, they might true. even take out the plants that are behind there just to allow a, a little bit of more flow leaving that attraction and leaving that shop. So if mm. that's the case, uh, it would be one of the casualties. And I, I kind of have to see the map. I'm trying to 
just picture it in my head how much more footing area they would get if they remove the plants and they remove the teacup but as it stands right now because of how it's seated yeah in, in place there it doesn't feel like it takes up a lot of space or that yeah. you would free up space but who knows we'll see okie dokie oh so since we were talking about the superb owl I, I didn't get a chance to mention that we got new trailers for Toy Story 4 and Avengers Endgame. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Yeah. <laughs> if you guys have not had a chance to see them, we posted both of those on the Instagram account. If you're not following us, Podketeers, P-O-D-K-E-T-E-E-R-S. Ooh, soulful. <laughs> Vegas style, baby. Vegas style. <laughs> Uh, so we posted both of those on the Instagram account, but if you didn't see them, never fear. Podcateers.com slash 242. They'll be in the blog post. You can check them out there. Uh, Mel, did you get a chance to see them? I did. What did you think of... Let's start with the Toy Story 4 trailer before we get into the Avengers trailer. I have questions. <laughs> I'm kind of thrown off by the setting. Like, I don't know. I, I it's don't a know. little confusing, right? It, yeah. <laughs> it's like the, the the little thing that they gave us. It's like, well, wait, what's I? Yeah, I'm so confused. Yeah, <laughs> I'm confused, but excited because yeah. it's a venue that we really haven't seen before. Seeing Buzz just hanging there made me think, um, what? What's going on? Wait, what? Yeah. If you guys haven't seen it, check out the trailer Join the conversation and give us your thoughts on what you think is going on. Because I think it left people with more questions than answers. Uh, and yeah. that's great. I f don't like when trailers tend to give stuff away. you know. And I think this one did a really good job of giving us enough of a teaser mm -hmm. that we're excited about Toy Story 4 as if we weren't already. And yet didn't really reveal too much about the story. You know, all the these little bits of info that we've gotten so far haven't really felt like they're giving away the, the entire story. And I love that. Yeah. Gavin, do you need a moment to go view these trailers? Um, do I have to? <laughs> no. <laughs> we know you're not a big trailer no, guy. I mean, but... <laughs> I just I didn't watch the game, so I. Neither I did I. <laughs> uh, I haven't watched any media today, so I haven't, oh. uh, nice. haven't seen anything. I've just been painting and listening to music and podcasts, you know, like oh, Podcasters right and such. Right on. Uh, I have not been doing that. Uh, I've been taking care of a few things around the house, but I did know that those things were going to be popping up during the game so i had my eyes set on social media to make sure that we were able to repost them as soon as we were able to and i was happy because they were the two trailers i've been anticipating the most not that i'm not anticipating captain marvel which is awesome looking on. i mean look i mean <laughs> really i'm i'm waiting for end game it's so funny to me that so many people get excited about trailers and they seem to get excited about the trailers for the movies they're already sold on, right? Like, yeah. you already know that you're going to be there day one for Endgame and Toy Story yeah. 4. 
Yeah. So, like, it doesn't really matter what the trailer even is, really. Like, could they actually show you a trailer that would turn you off from the movie? Is that possible? Um, I don't know. I mean, if they were kicking puppies, maybe. Okay. If they're kicking puppies, that's the one thing that they could do in the trailer. It could be one of the things. I don't know. Okay. I just, it's hard to say. It's just funny because I don't see anybody like really camping out for trailers for the next, I don't know, just regular action movie that is not tied to a big franchise. It's just it's just weird to me because trailers are kind of supposed to sell the movie, but they've kind of morphed into this. They've evolved into this whole extra genre of entertainment. It's really funny to me to see you know, how much joy people get from trailers. I don't begrudge them that joy. I, that's awesome. I just, it's, it's always kind of mystified me. I don't, I don't really get it. I was kind of like that with Maleficent. And it's funny what you're saying right now is kind of like what I'm going to be feeling for part two. I'm going to be very critical because I was kind of let down for, you know, Maleficent um, after giving another chance. But yeah, I mean, if this, tr- whenever they drop a trailer or something, mm-hmm. a teaser, if it doesn't catch my attention, I'm not going to go see it because I don't want to be disappointed again. So does that yeah. include Aladdin? Uh, no, I'm, I'm going to throw my money at Aladdin. See, that's what Lion I'm saying. King. Like, it's, <laughs> it's just so funny because we, and we've talked about that, tra- those trailers mm-hmm. and uh, we talked about Lion King trailer. It's just, I don't know, it's it's such a strange beast to me, the whole trailer game these days. Because when I grew up, it was like, that was how you became aware that there even was a movie, right? Is you right. would either right. see a trailer when you went to go see a movie at the theater, or you'd be watching TV and one would come on the TV. Now, there's like release schedules for trailers and YouTube channels just for trailers. And it's it's so crazy to me that it has become what it is now it's the only really type of advertising that has truly become a form of entertainment right like Mm -hmm. no other type of commercials for soap or food products are entertainment like advertisements for movies are right Uh, i think it depends on what you're advertising because there are some advertisers that really put production quality no, sure, doing. sure, but you're not waiting for that next Tide detergent ad, and you're right. like camping <laughs> I mean, out and waiting That's for that true. Super Bowl commercial, right? <laughs> I'm always anticipating the next Tide ad. I mean, they are talks, <laughs> hashtag not <right>? sponsored, <laughs> but we're open to it, Tide. It's just, I don't know, it's just so strange to me, and, and people just want to know so badly. They've got no patience to just wait for the freaking movie to come out. You know what it is? I think it pacifies our need for not having it. We live in a time and a culture now where a lot of things are a la carte and they're so readily available to all of us Mm -hmm. that our mindsets have shifted from watching a TV show and having to wait a whole week for the cliffhanger to just letting Netflix time out in that eight seconds so that you can watch the next episode. Right. You know, so our mindsets, I think, have shifted in such a way that that's just the culture that we live in. But it also depends on the film, right? Because, I mean, look, not to not to speak ill of any films, but 
I wasn't chomping at the bit for like Dog's Way Home. I was like, oh my God, the Dog's Way Home trailer is coming. I personally wouldn't care about that, right? But if you're a dog lover or, you know, your kids love these types of films, then maybe you were waiting for that, you know, story. But I think for especially these superhero movies, like Marvel especially, they hide so many Easter eggs that can potentially tell you more about the film or tell you about what might be coming in the MCU in a future film, Mm -hmm. that it opens up the conversation of speculation. You know, we've mentioned it before. We live in a very spoilerific culture now that everybody wants to be the first to find those easter eggs to talk about them and be the one that spread the word about well you know how they do it uh dr strange got into the delorean and said marty we're gonna do this and they reversed the snap (laughs) wow that's a crossover (laughs) well i mean look that's what happens that's what i got from the trailer today so flux capacitors aside do you think that that methodology, those Easter eggs and all that actually creates more box office sales? Or do you think it turns people off? Oh, that man, that is a great question. Because I've, I feel like they're just pandering to the audience they already have. Not, maybe pandering is not the right word. That's a negative word. You know, they're catering to the audience they already have. And I don't know. I don't. I don't feel like it's going to sway anyone one way or the other to go watch those movies, especially in a unique scenario like Marvel. They've they've kind of created their own game entirely. Nothing has ever right. existed like the MCU before, mm-hmm. and probably never will again. So that's it's kind of hard. But we can go back to Toy Story four. You know, it was big news that the to- new Toy Story four trailer dropped today. I mean, what does that change? Does that change? anything whatsoever everybody knows what toy story is either they're interested in another toy story movie or they're not right is there anything that they could do in a trailer that makes a big segment of the population go oh i'm gonna give that a shot maybe depending on the structure of the trailer people's mindset let's use toy story as the example again here we've talked about how we feel that toy story one and three have bookended perfectly Mm -hmm. and that we felt there was no more story to tell and so toy story 4 is just gonna ruin the series and how dare they right that's that's been the conversation for a long time but maybe the trailer is set up in such a way where you think to yourself oh all right forget it i'm gonna give this one a shot i'm gonna go uh instead of waiting for the red box i'm just gonna actually watch it in the movie theater now because it looks like they're gonna have a new story to tell so maybe it's not meant for the hardcore fans. Maybe it's for the people that are on the fence mm-hmm. or the naysayers that they're trying to convert over. Yeah, and and that's the thing. There must be some sort of positive change in effect or else they wouldn't spend the millions and millions of marketing dollars that they do to promote them, right? They've been like they're professionals at doing this, right? right. So there must be a reason I am just in the camp that is a little mystified by it all and thinks, well, I know I'm going to watch the next Disney movie. You don't have to sell me on it. You know, if you string together 10 terrible Disney movies in a row, then on number 11, I might start to think, okay, now you got to sell me. But Disney doesn't 
suffer from that problem, you know? Right. They, they create quality content, and Marvel's the same way. And so it's just weird to think that I would have to be sold on the next one. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying with the people that already are in the fandom, but I'll, I'll give you a perfect example just for me personally. With their track record, you know, I, I've pretty much told myself I wasn't ever going to watch a DC film in a movie theater again. Uh, I, I ended up watching Wonder Woman, and I thought, oh, wow, I wonder if this is their way of turning things around now because this was great and this and this, and then it wasn't, you know. But watching the trailer for Aquaman made me think, that actually looks really good. And that's something that I haven't said about an, a DC trailer in a really long time. For me personally, that's why I think it serves the purpose of kind of flipping people's uh, idea of what the film is about or taking that sour taste out. It's not going to change the hardcore fan. It's right. really to change the ones that have the sour taste in their mouth. Yeah. That makes sense. But I think in this case, it also only really applies to the people who've seen the first three. You know, I don't think you're going to yeah. get a random person out there who hasn't seen any Toy Story movie that's going to suddenly see Toy Story 4 on yeah. purpose. You know what it really boils down to, though? What? What I feel it boils down to? Free publicity. What? How, I think what? it just... It's the hype, dude, because... It's not free, though. They paid millions how... of dollars for those commercial spots. Ah, but then how many more millions will they save because people like us are reposting it? How much oh, more will I it spread because we're talking about it, we're posting, and you know we're doing whatever we can sure. to keep that in everybody's mind. Yeah. So when you think of from the 50s till you know 10 years ago, how much money was spent on billboards and uh, sides of buses and TV commercials and you know movie spots, whatever the case was, Companies don't really have to do that anymore. They release one trailer and then the internet blows up and we're the ones that do the viral marketing for them now. Okay, that's a great yeah. point. And I think that we now must have a part of our business plan be Podcateers Super Bowl commercial 2020 and let's Dude. let everybody free promote us. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Let's start saving All right, my so we're pennies. Gonna, we're going to kick up the GoFundMe to raise right. the, what, $2 billion to do a Super Bowl ad. <laughs> I'm sure it's several million to get a Super Bowl spot. <laughs> so unless we find a happy millionaire that wants to just put us into a Super Bowl ad, that'd be great. <laughs> hey, it could happen. You never know. Yeah. Uh, but you know what? That's a great question. I, I want to throw it out to the listeners. How do you guys feel about being marketed a product that you're probably already going to go watch? You know how Gavin said earlier, uh, it, is it because you feel that they're using us for the marketing aspect? Do you feel that you learn anything new from these trailers? Do you end up just being confused after watching teasers like the Toy Story one or the Endgame one that dropped today during the Super Bowl? Join the conversation. Follow us on uh, Instagram, Twitter, or on Facebook. We're Podcateers on all of those. We'd love to hear your thoughts, and we'll share them on an upcoming episode. All right. Before we continue, Gavin, how's your Audible book coming, buddy? It's coming along nicely. It's so, yeah. so long. But that's great because it's lots of entertainment. 
I have enjoyed listening to this book on my daily commute, and I have to say I'm a huge proponent of audiobooks now. Even though this is my very first one, I can already tell that I totally enjoy having that at my fingertips while driving the long California freeway drives that many of us have to do every day. I'm a huge fan of Audible, and I say it's worth it to give it a shot. You can go to audibletrial.com slash podcateers and get a free trial for 30 days, and it's totally worth it because, hey, it's free. You get a book, and you get to keep that book forever even if you cancel. I'm pretty sure you're not going to cancel because it's awesome, and you'll want to stick around like Hazen has for, I don't know, 30 years <laughs> just about at this point <laughs> and now i i'm sticking around so uh give it a shot it's awesome and in case you guys don't know audible is actually an amazon company so if you already have an amazon account you have amazon prime you can use your amazon credentials to log in super simple to hop on that trial in case you can't remember the link, just go to podcateers.com, scroll down, click on the Audible link, take advantage of that trial. But once you're there, if you want to make some Amazon purchases, head over to podcateers.com slash Amazon, click on the big Amazon button, it'll take you to Amazon before your purchase. Anything that you buy may earn us a small commission as a thank you from Amazon because you went through our link. And to everyone that's already taken advantage of that, we thank you for that support. Okay, so you guys know that recently we made a couple of changes to the podcast to be able to bring you some topics that we've really been interested in sharing with all of you for a really long time. And we kicked off this last month by talking about Tomorrowland. We brought you a little bit of history. We talked about Space Mountain. And in this episode, Gavin's going to take us down a road of Disney sci-fi movies. Without further ado, let's get this thing started, man, because I've been excited about talking about this one for a while me too all right let's talk sci-fi if you've listened to the show for a while you've probably gleaned the fact that i love science fiction but it doesn't come up all that much in our conversations on the podcast because disney really hasn't delved into that particular genre all that much i find this a bit perplexing since it seems that an entertainment company built around imagination, dreams, and futuristic ideas would find endless material there. So today I'm going to tell the story of six of Disney's most important science fiction movies. Yes, that's right. A half dozen. Nice. I'm going to keep yeah. exclusively to the Walt Disney Studios. So apologies to Star Wars, Marvel, and of course, Wally. It's okay. I'll forgive you. <laughs> <the same time. laughs> I figured you guys would have something to say there. But... Uh, here we go. By most accounts, the golden age of science fiction literature spanned the 1940s and 1950s. This is when it came into its own as a respected literary genre. When it came to television and motion pictures, however, it was typically presented in low-budget, campy productions, which didn't lend it much credibility with the mainstream audiences of the time. Enter Disney's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea based on the 19th century Jules Verne novel of the same name. It was released in 1954, and at $9 million, it was the most expensive Hollywood film to date, and it showed. The film, yeah, the film stands up even today in most regards and is a testament to good filmmaking and practical effects. 
with a powerhouse cast of James Mason, Kirk Douglas, Peter Lorre, and Paul Lucas, and state-of-the-art sound, effects, and cinematography, it is, it is an adventure that leaps off the screen. The iconic scene in which the Nautilus is attacked by a giant squid is probably its most famous moment. The action in this scene is so, so good. I feel like the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise is still trying to capture that same intensity. And that's coming from somebody who loves the Pirates films. I can see that. Right? Yeah. yeah. So intense. I love it. It also features one of literature's greatest antiheroes in Captain Nemo. Yet, it has all the charm we've come to expect from Disney classic movies. It was a success in its day. But Disney would not return to the science fiction genre in earnest for many years. Okay, so here are some fun facts about 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. When Disneyland opened in 1955, well, technically about three weeks later, a walkthrough exhibit was featured in Tomorrowland with actual props and sets from the film. It was actually a pretty incredible exhibit, and it was a fully themed walkthrough. And I would have loved to have seen this in person. Yeah. yeah. But one of those props made its way permanently into another famous <laughs> attraction. Yes, it do did. Do you know which one? I think yeah. you do. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> what is it? I'll let you answer, Mel. It's the organ in the Haunted Mansion's ballroom. <laughs> That's right. Yes. Captain Nemo's organ <laughs> now plays the music of the swinging wake inside Disneyland's Haunted dun, Mansion. So we started out with an easy one there, so they may get tougher as we go along. Oh, boy. <laughs> I'm sure that's the only one I'm going to get today. <laughs> Okay, let's fast forward a few decades to the next significant Disney sci-fi film. After 1954, the only films Disney made that could be considered science fiction were either comedic stories like The Absent-Minded Professor or half-baked fantasies like Escape to Witch Mountain. It wasn't until a little movie called Tron came along that the Disney studios made a mark on the world of sci-fi again. Since 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea was released, the world had come to know Star Trek, 2001 A Space Odyssey, and the iconic heroes and villains of a galaxy far, far away in the first two installments of the Star Wars movie universe. Tron Let's itself... Let's Doctor Who. And Doctor Who, yeah. Good, in, yeah. good injection. Uh, Tron was released one month after Spielberg's E.T. The Extraterrestrial. So you could say by the early 1980s, science fiction had become an essential genre to the entertainment outlets. Yeah. Tron employed many innovative techniques, special effects, and even computer-generated imagery at unprecedented levels. It is one of the most stylistically unique films, not just in science fiction, but also in film history in general. In fact, it was one of the influencing factors that nudged John Lasseter in the direction of computer animation. About the film, he is quoted as saying, I think it really will always stand as one of the milestones of computer animation. I mean, without Tron, there would be no Toy Story. That yeah. is a heavy statement Whoa. right there. Yeah. I love that. It's cool that you mentioned that because the, the fact that John Lasseter himself had said, hey, look, this is kind of what inspired mm -hmm. this movement for us. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, it's great. 
But despite the cult following it has engendered throughout the years, the successful sequel it spawned, more on that later, and the inspiration it ultimately provided to luminaries such as John Lasseter, Tron was not an initial success. In fact, by most estimations, it would be considered a flop. It did not end up being Disney's Star Wars as was hoped. And thus, we have another long science fiction drought at the Disney studio. 19 years later, we get our very first animated sci-fi offering from Disney. Do you guys know what it is? Atlantis. Atlantis, the Lost Empire. Interestingly enough, it started a run of three Disney animated features in a row in the years 2001 and 2002 that were science fiction stories. Atlantis was followed by Lilo and Stitch and Treasure Planet the next year. We'll get to those in a minute. Atlantis was begun on the heels of the Disney Renaissance, which, as we all know, was basically a decade of Disney musicals. The studio decided to try something different for a while, and with Atlantis, wanted to create an action-adventure film inspired by the worlds of Jules Verne stories. It used CGI to a much greater extent than any other Disney animated film up to that time, and it had a style unlike other Disney films before it. One of the key designers on the film was Mike Mignola of Hellboy fame. His style is what gives the film and its characters their unique look. I think that's one of the coolest things about Atlantis is that it's so hyper-stylized, you know? Mm -hmm. It really took the work of an artist and made it come to life on screen, kind of like they did with Sleeping Beauty and the art of Ivan Durrell. You know, they really kind of translated that style right to the screen. And I think that's great as an artist. The production of the film was incredibly extensive. Animators and writers pulled from sources across science fiction, anthropology, mythology, and even the writings of clairvoyant icon Edgar Case to invent the city and culture of Atlantis itself. They even went so far as to hire Mark Okrand, who created the Klingon language for Star Trek, and commissioned him to create an all-new Atlantean language. So the language that they speak in Atlantis is a full, wholly realized language that can be spoken and written. I wonder if there's a way that we can get, like, a translator or something. I think there are sites that have that information. If we can find it, we should put it in the blog post, because that would be cool. Yeah. 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 It's it's really incredible, the work that they put into this film. Found one. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's that easy. You, too, can speak Atlantean, or at least write Atlantean. I don't know what it has there. Uh, I think having the the ciphers, you know, available to you, or the symbols. Mm-hmm. I keep every time I see symbols, I think of Gravity Falls. I and know, the I could tell. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the the Atlantean alphabet, so to speak. Uh, I think we could put up a couple of graphics of that in the blog post. So pocketsears.com slash two forty two. If you guys want to check that out, nice. Well, despite the efforts that went into creating Atlantis and the incredible star star power of the cast, which included Michael J. Fox, James Garner, and Leonard Nimoy, it struggled at the box office. Like Tron, it just didn't seem to connect with the mainstream audience. Interestingly enough, if Atlantis The Lost Empire was a bigger success at the box office, 
it would have been the IP used for the submarine attraction in Tomorrowland instead of Finding Nemo, which actually mm. would have worked better thematically. Yes. Oh, yeah. I think that... it would be more beautiful because imagine yes. all the glow, the ruins. Oh, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> think of how it would have changed Tomorrowland. Yes. Exactly. If it was that successful, they would have begun a restructuring of that area to include more of that film. Yeah. Well, and it would have fit with the ideas of Tomorrowland that were in place back then, which was that kind of yeah. retro science fiction, Jules Verne, steampunk era. Yes. Steampunk, So yeah. it would have worked really well. And we could have been just, you know, working with that backdrop today and, you know, increasing yeah. that. But it wasn't to be. So we got Nemo. <laughs> I mean, who doesn't yeah. want to go up to Mount Wanahakalugi? Right. So. I mean... It's pretty dope. (laughs) All right. Another fact of note is that the character of Cookie in Atlantis is the final role of Jim Varney. Now, most people know him as his comedic persona, Ernest P. Worrell. I love those films as a kid and today. They're great. Hey, Vern. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean, Vern? You know what I mean, Vern? So good. Well, he passed away in 2000 uh, before production was completed. And the film is actually dedicated to him. So Jim Varney also voiced a more famous character for Pixar Studios, which recently got its own attraction. Yeah. Do you know who that character is? Slinky Dog. That's right. Slinky <laughs> Dog. I, you know, for some reason, when I went to look at look him up and his um, filmography, mm-hmm. I felt like he had done a bunch of voices for disney but those are the only two he ever did i don't know why i thought he I did like more a, but yeah anyway do you guys remember here i'm going to tangent here for a second do you guys remember when they were opening splash mountain at yes. the 35th anniversary and they did that tv mm-hmm. special where he went and wrote it and they filmed yeah. him writing it oh my gosh yes. i thought that was the greatest is that thing the, in the one world. where all the dancers are in the hot pink pants probably that sounds like 19 19- 89? I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like everybody was in hot pink and hot neon green pants dancing around in front of Splash Mountain. That might have been what was happening, yes. I just remember Michael Eisner, like, shaking his hand and, and um, getting him onto a, a log by himself, and he wrote it. And he was yeah. all, like, cocky and cool the whole time. And then he went up the hill, and he started freaking out. And, and when he got off, he basically pulled the railings out because he had it such a tight grip on him and to a kid it was hilarious i think we need to put this on the blog post <laughs> it's on youtube <laughs> yeah it's on youtube i watched it <laughs> well while hazen looks for that i'll continue our story <laughs> so let's take a look at disney's next animated feature film lilo and stitch from the summer of 2002 To many people, this doesn't sit in their mind as being a science fiction movie, but it is. This is a classic alien encounter film in which an extraterrestrial being visits Earth and a story is built around the interaction of that being and the human characters it encounters. But the warm, tropical setting and the dramatic and heartfelt story lend this film such a cozy feeling that most people don't equate it to science fiction, which is typically considered to be a cold and unfeeling genre. Lilo Mm -hmm. and Stitch brilliantly throws all of those preconceived notions out the window. 
The look of this film is actually a return to the golden age of Disney animation with its use of watercolor backgrounds. Mm -hmm. It was also done on a tighter budget. These facts have drawn many to compare this film to Dumbo. Both films were created frugally and have stories of family which tug at the heartstrings of the audience. Also, it's got a kick in Elvis Presley soundtrack, which yes. I love. Yes. <laughs> it's That's right. so sure random, knows. but awesome. <laughs> you know, Stitch is one of those voices I've always wanted to be able to impersonate, but oh, it's just gosh, so high. Yeah. And like, there's so much strain on your voice that when you when you jump into that, oh, hello, mean family. Yeah, like it gets really <laughs> difficult. It's up there with and Donald Duck as, as on the difficulty level. I think. I think you have to have just the right like mouth set up with vocal cords that just can do Donald Duck. I don't think an average person yeah. could even be trained to do it. I'm sure Tony Ansamo's mouth and lips are just in that mode at all times. Right. At Magical. This point. Yeah. 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 Okay. Of the animated science fiction films in the Disney catalog, Lilo and Stitch is the only one that can be considered a success. I guess that's a bit of a spoiler for our next film. But Lilo and Stitch made four, no, three times its budget. So that was a success. None of the other animated films came close to that level. Not even close. Oh, man. Okay. Quiz time. Mm-hmm. Lilo and Stitch was one of only three films created mostly at the Florida Animation Studio back when they were doing films there. Can you name the other two that were mostly created at the Florida Studio? Now we're getting tough. I, one came, say, one I, came before, one came after. You have no idea. Mulan. Okay. I was thinking then, Pocahontas, but I wasn't sure. The other one is another little-known movie like Atlantis and Treasure Planet. Oh, oh! I was gonna say Tarzan, but I don't. It's think... got a fantastic soundtrack by the same person who did the soundtrack for Tarzan. Oh, uh, Brother Bear. Bears. There you go, Brother Bear. <laughs> wow, dude! I forget Brother Bear is right? in the Disney film stable. Yeah. Oh, please forgive me. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a good one. I like that one. But we're talking science fiction, so let's continue our trek. Originally called Treasure Island in Space, gag, our next film, Treasure Planet, was actually pitched to the studio by Ron Clemens and John Musker during the same lunch meeting in which they pitched The Little Mermaid in 1985. Oh, wow. Right? Of course, it was Katzenberger that shot it down. He didn't like the idea, so it was dead. Eventually, however, Clements and Musker got to dust off the concept and bring it into the light of day in the new millennium. Based on Stevenson's Treasure Island, it takes us out into the stars instead of the seas. The creators developed a style in hopes of creating a warm version of space, which again flies in the face of the reputation of the genre. Their version of space, called the Ethereum, allowed spaceships to be open air and look very similar to sea ships from the 18th and 19th centuries. Characters didn't even have to wear spacesuits, so their faces were never obstructed. All of this lent a feeling to the film that's unlike any other science fiction film. The film made heavy use of CGI, especially in the backgrounds and the ships and vehicles. It is a very cozy and almost painterly feel. It's actually quite a gorgeous film, 
And it was so epic, it was the first film released simultaneously in regular theaters and IMAX. It's really a shame no one went to see it. This film totally bombed, not even making back its budget. Oh, Uh, man. That's sad. Yes. Because I love it. Like, I, I can go back and watch that film... Like on DVD, I don't even think I have the Blu-ray. I think I have just the DVD of it. Yeah, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. So Disney's run of science fiction animations came to an end. One out of three films was a success, which is not a great record by Disney standards. In many ways, these three films helped change the direction of the studio and point it toward computer animated movies. Some of you might be asking, but what about Big Hero 6? Isn't that a sci-fi film? That's a great question. What do you think? Is the science-based superhero story a subcategory of science fiction? Or are superhero stories their own category? Any thoughts? I think they're their own category. I was going to say same thing. I kind of think they are too. I always kind of think of superheroes in their own wheelhouse you know like there are science fiction elements there are lots of fantasy elements but don't really yeah i don't put them in the same camp so for that reason i didn't choose to include big hero six which is a movie i love it makes sense yeah man i i just learned so much from from what you were talking about right now it's so funny to think that 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea got everything kicked off for Disney when it comes to sci-fi. Uh, when considering that back in, it was in, in 55 that it was released, right? 54. 54, sorry. Uh, in 1954, Creature from the Black Lagoon, Them, mm-hmm. like all these other sci-fi, like now classics, right? But at the time... I think they were really considered campy because the special effects just really weren't there like mm-hmm. you were talking about early on. Yep. 20,000 Leagues just upped the game so much that it immediately put a lot of these other sci-fi films into a B category. Yep. You know, so now people refer to them as, oh, B horror films from <laughs> back in the day. Yep. It's crazy to think that one film could do something like that, right? Because before that, that was like the best that you could do. Yeah. And and I get what you're talking about with Pirates of the Caribbean because they do constantly try to give you um, that feeling that you got. And I think the closest that I feel that they've come with it isn't even in the films. I feel like it's the ride in Shanghai. Oh, yeah. The attraction in Shanghai, I think, is possibly the closest they've come mm-hmm. to really feeling submerged and that you're getting, you know, the, the, the attack you know, feeling and everything. So, yeah, yeah, it's it's super cool. All right, kids, we have one film left. So let's get back to our journey. The capstone to our story today is the long-awaited sequel to Tron, Tron Legacy. The cult of Tron had to wait 28 years for the chance to revisit the grid, and most agree it was worth the wait. Tron Legacy was released in 2010, and it set a new bar in visual graphics and film. To me, it is one of the crowning achievements in the history of science fiction and film. When viewed as a myth, 
populated with archetypes and not a story so much with involved character development and, and an intricate plot, it can be appreciated for its elegant iconography and jaw-dropping design work. It is one of the most timelessly futuristic and appealing worlds I've ever seen on screen. But of course, I'm clearly a science fiction guy, so it just spoke to me directly. Tron Legacy pushed visual that. technology as its predecessor did back in the 1980s. Employing effect techniques such as chroma keying uh, allowed the creators to give it a feel unlike any other before it. The movie has over 1,500 visual effects shots. It also features one of the earliest de-aged characters, as we not only get to see a young Kevin Flynn, but also his grid counterpart, Clue, mm -hmm. who were both modeled after Jeff Bridges from the movie Against All Odds, which came out two years after the original Tron, to kind of keep the timeline in place. Yeah, And of course, Tron Legacy has a soundtrack composed by Daft Punk yeah. and is as iconic as it's that of any Disney film in recent memory. It's such a right? good soundtrack. Yep. It's, oh my God. Yes. I can just let that play and I can just work and just like Absolutely. repeat that album three times and get so much done. Uh, basically, I had it on repeat while I wrote this whole thing. Nice. So That's awesome. Yes. And, you know, seldom do I get into movie scores, but this is one that I went out and bought right away i think it was the same day the movie came out i was like oh i'm in i gotta buy this thing nice it's one of my very favorites tron legacy was a big success for the studio and yet despite persistent demand from its following lingering rumors and even continued investments in park attractions, there is still no indication from the studio that a possible third installment is forthcoming. Uh, I say... Well, I have uh, good news for you, Gavin. What? I'm looking forward to it, too. Okay, good. We all are. <laughs> well, I say Flynn lives. Yes. Let's get a trilogy. <laughs> so that wraps up our story today. Disney has had an exciting but bumpy ride in the genre of science fiction. I actually really enjoy all of the films described today, even though I understand some of their limitations. So what are your thoughts on science fiction when it comes to Disney? Have they just missed the mark? Or do they simply understand fantasy and fairy tales more than they understand sci-fi? I think the biggest pitfall might be that science fiction gets filmmakers into the trap of thinking it's all about the special effects and they lose sight of telling really good stories. And that's what Disney's all about. Um, I honestly think that they, these movies that you've reviewed and it's, it just stinks that they didn't do well in theaters, but they're so underrated. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think Disney could do a really good job and they did. It hurt when you had mentioned that Treasure Planet didn't do well. And I'm like, oh, I didn't it's see this movie tanked. until like this weekend. <laughs> and oh, I, I'm kicking myself. I know. I know. <laughs> I'm kicking myself over that. But I mean, every single one of those movies, they're, they're told really well. I just think it's probably those who have like sci-fi, how it is in their, in their minds. It probably doesn't attract them to see the disney movies mm -hmm, I, yeah. I think that's what it is because this would be like my kind of sci-fi i i i'm i can't do star trek i can't <gasps> i 
I cannot. That hurts me a little. I'm sorry. <laughs> I am married to a Trekkie. I cannot. What? <laughs> yeah. Oh. So to me, these <laughs> movies, I mean, they they speak to me a lot more. Mm-hmm. It's just a bummer that they don't do so well. I, gosh darn it. I really want that third Tron film. Right? Because they oh just gosh. got better and better. So it's like, please, Disney. Just there's a market. There's us. We will throw money at you. Give us the merchandise. We'll throw money at you. Yeah. And Podcasters will promote it to its millions of listeners. Yes. So. Yeah, of absolutely. Course. So what do you think, Hazen? Do you think it's just the reputation that science fiction has in general that limits these films? Uh, I think it's a little bit of that. And I think it's a little bit of the legacy that the other films have left behind money-wise. Yeah. Mm. Disney is all about making money. And if a film doesn't seem to reach the potential that others can when it comes to how much money it makes or how much they can promote it inside of their parks or with merchandise, they don't see it as uh, uh, an option for something upcoming. You know, they tend to go back, like you mentioned, they go back to that fantasy realm, to the princesses, because it's what they're good at. It's what they can make a lot of money with. If any other studio had put out Treasure Planet it the same way, with the same story, the same animation, it would have been a success. They would have continued making another one. We would have had a part two, a part three, because, and I hate to say it this way because I don't want to sound like a snob, but they wouldn't have held the Disney standard. Yeah. Right. Which unfortunately is what I feel held these types of films back. The fact that it's taken them so long is because I don't think they want to risk putting together a sci-fi film knowing that we're probably they're probably not going to make their money back on it. Yeah. Because the majority of the Disney fandom is all about the princesses and, you know, that that fantasy type story. Now, though, I feel like we're reaching an era where so many of these worlds are converging because of Star Wars and Marvel. Like, they're all coming into the same park that we might be seeing a trend where that might be changing. And we might be entering uh, a a section of time where maybe they're going to experiment a little bit more with it. But instead of having just some random people in charge of Tron for legacy, maybe they're going to put Kevin Feige in charge of legacy, Mm -hmm. you know, or somebody that knows how to do this sci-fi genre. Well, like, because you mentioned it earlier, like, do you consider superhero sci-fi? Not really. I really do think that they are their own genre, even though it's totally sci-fi. Like, to me, sci-fi is something that comes from space. It's an invasion angle. There's some kind of spaceship, which Avengers has all of just in one film. Yeah. Right? So it's totally sci-fi. But it's just, it's structured differently because... Normally, in a traditional sci-fi film, there's an invasion and there's people fighting back. And just, these are just normal people fighting back or trying to find a way to fight back against these invasions or this larger being. In superhero movies, you have superhumans fighting that fight for the regular humans. Mm-hmm. So that's where I think the clash of idea comes from. Right. But overall, I really do think that it comes down to the money that they can make on it and how much 
their their return on investment is going to be. Yeah. If they know that they have a Kevin Feige or, I mean, I hate to say it at this point, but like a James Gunn, you know, behind a Tron legacy, like, oh, man, they would have jumped on that super quick, you know, and they would have made that film and it would have made all sorts of money because the the other thing that I feel is really changing in the industry is the fact that the nerds that grew up with these are now the nerds making these films. Yeah, that's yeah. true. You know, and the passion behind how much they invest in putting them together is really what's going to make them successful because they know how to tell that story, keep true to it, and advance the story, you know, yeah. for something else. And I think that's something that didn't exist before. We had brilliant minds like Jules Verne come up with all of these stories, but someone in Hollywood just thought, oh, you know what? That's going to make a great film. But they didn't have anything behind that. They didn't have the mindset. They didn't have the passion behind it. All they saw was a possible money grab. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's changing. The fact that the people that are passionate are the ones actually making all of this now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I agree with all of that. And I hope it creates some sort of trend in the industry where we can get more. You know, I said it about... Uh, into the Spider-Verse, I feel like superheroes are so good when they're animated, and I hope that that creates a trend. I would love some company to create the next science fiction animated movie that has that same effect, but just for sci-fi in general. You know, there have been other films that people love, such as Titan A.E., which famously destroyed the 20th Century Fox studio as it flopped and Don Bluth's career at that time. And, you know, beloved films like The Iron Giant, which, you know, everybody loves, but that mm-hmm. movie didn't make any money, you know? Yeah. And so it's, it's, a, it's a tough genre to make a film in, apparently, unless you're a big budget live action, you know, studio doing things like Tron Legacy and Interstellar and Star Wars and things like that, you know, when it comes to animation, which is where I'm most interested, it just seems to be tough. The only truly successful sci-fi animated movie that I can think of is Akira from, what, 35 years ago? Oh, yeah. And that's it. And that's that's a subject matter that, you know, Disney's never going to do. So... I just don't know if it really, I don't know. I'm hopeful, but doubtful at the same time. Yeah, you're right. Disney, I don't think will ever truly jump into anime, but I think that's why they've partnered and purchased companies in the past or distributed things like for Ghibli. Right. You know, I think the reason they did that was because they wanted to be able to dip into that sector without having to really do it. How did you feel about the Tron animated series? I loved you... it. Yeah? I really did. Because I know it was really short-lived. It was like it... maybe a couple dozen episodes? Um, It was one season. Uh, I don't know if it was 24. I want to say it was less than that. But okay. um, I felt like it was a great continuation of that universe. It was actually um, in the period right before Tron Legacy. It kind of leads up to mm-hmm. that, I believe. And is a Tron Uprising. Tron right? Uprising. Yeah, it's really yeah. I think it's still on Hulu. So if anybody wants to go watch it, I would love to chat with them about it. It was beautifully rendered. It it creates all of that 
amazing lighting that is in Tron Legacy, which really gives it its look. And uh, Bruce Boxleitner plays Tron, so it's really cool to have that continuity. And it's it's really good. I think it had some limitations with the story. It kind of took a while to get going, but once it got going, I thought it was a fantastic show, and I would have watched more seasons of it. So if they gave you that in lieu of a part three to the films, do you think that would pacify the the need for fans to see that story continue? Because I feel like they've done a really good job with Star Wars, with like Clone Wars and stuff like mm-hmm. that, where even though some of those storylines took a little bit of time to really ramp up, overall those storylines have done really well uh, as far as Star Wars canon storytelling and just giving star wars fans something else to watch yeah i mean i would take it i would i would definitely watch it i feel like in today's world things beg for trilogies so i i kind of feel like and they they left it so open-ended at the end of tron legacy you know there's that possibility that potential that they can continue on and we're dying to know what happens with Korra leaving the grid and, you know, going back to whatever the real world. And so I think the story is waiting to be written. I mean, it's just, it's right there and people would watch. I mean, that movie made almost half a billion. So, you know, in 2010, that's fantastic. You know, it wasn't until a few years ago that movies regularly started hitting a billion. So hitting that much back then is is huge. I mean, it was up there with like Avatar the year before it, you know. I mean, it didn't do as much as Avatar ended up doing with its multiple releases. But I mean, yeah. it was the big blockbuster that followed Avatar. Mel, what about you? Would you like to see an animated series if they don't put out another film? I would prefer a film because Disney tends to cater more to a film if it does really well. They'll bring it into the parks one way or another. But if I knew that they weren't going to do anything in the parks, then I would take the animated series, which I'm kicking myself I didn't get to see, which I should have, <laughs> considering I love both movies very, very much. Um but if they can, if they could give us that, that third film, finish it up, bring it into the park. Now that they want to bring the IPs, let's oh, do yeah. it and make something out of it. I'm telling you guys, yeah. Flynn's user gateway needs to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would make the most sense that if they were going to do an overhaul of Tomorrowland and they decided to go with something that's not necessarily time-based but still has a technology angle to it, Tron would be the perfect oh, yeah. uh, IP to do that with because there there is no date restriction. Right. You know, going into the grid is... You know, we, we talk about going into the internet the same way, right? We're on the net, yeah. you know, or, you know, we're, we're surfing the web or whatever term you want to use to talk about being on the internet. Uh, it's the same thing, but there really is no time restriction with it. I think the only parallel that I would see uh, when it comes to 
uh, jumping on that bandwagon would probably be Ready Player One, with the exception of the fact that it's so 80s based because the character loves the 80s. Yeah. So, right. you know, the Oasis in that story really center it's really centered around the likings of this particular character uh in that same fashion though uh jumping into the oasis is kind of the same thing as going onto the grid for tron right there's no time frame necessarily you're just going into this digital space that now you're doing stuff in Mm -hmm. yeah no i i i feel like tron is the most timeless of the properties that they have in the sense of it's not a world that's ever going to feel dated in the same way that other yeah. futuristic things do. I mean, it might, you know, in 20 years, we might think, oh, that's so passe. But I don't know. I just feel like it's has the most potential for lasting futuristic appeal. Yeah. Because even if they did something, let, let's suppose that Treasure Planet somehow had made its way into Tomorrowland. Mm-hmm. The the steampunk revolution that happened where all of a sudden for years all we saw was steampunk this steampunk that has really seemed to die down Mm -hmm. i think there are still people that enjoy that design aspect they enjoy uh living that type of lifestyle with that simplicity but you know futuristic look to a lot of it but overall it's not something you really hear about from many people anymore so that would feel dated at this point i i think in paris having that area with that steampunk design that it has for their space mountain i think it works there because it's just how the land is set up Mm -hmm. if it was one particular attraction i think it would have felt more dated already than if it was the whole land like it is now yeah you know yeah i agree Whew. Man, this was a good one. Too. Yeah. <laughs> so I got to ask, dude, why didn't you even mention my favorite, <laughs> Flight of the Navigator? Dude, you know, I like Flight of the Navigator. I do. It's not what I would consider an an A-list movie. How dare it's, you? It's fun. And if you're 12, it is amazing. And I do enjoy it because it brings me much nostalgia. But it's not what I would consider a milestone in Disney history. It was a milestone in my heart. Was, wasn't it made for TV originally? It was. Right? <laughs> I mean, yeah. I loved it as a kid. And I still dig that ship design. I think it's really cool. I do, and, too. You know, I do believe it was Sarah Jessica Parker's first role, though. Is that right? Am I remembering that was wrong? It? I think it was. She was like 16. Let's go with that. Sure. 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 Disney made Sarah Jessica Parker's career. Oh, okay. Of course. Sure. It. <laughs> it, it's got I Get Around from the Beach Boys in it, which was my favorite song as a kid. So that was cool. Oh, oh really? Yeah, heck yeah. Nice. And uh, yeah, nice. I don't know. There, there's a lot of science fiction-y films that they did that just weren't what I would consider milestones. You know, the computer that wore tennis shoes was not making my list. Look, sir, how dare you <laughs> talk ill of a cinematic adventure yeah. like mm-hmm. Space Buddies? Yeah, Flubber? <laughs> that, Space Buddies? That, I think, <laughs> defined a generation of dogs going into space. The, get your Space Buddy fixed by going on Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. There's a Space Buddy in the queue right there. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> ah, that's funny. <laughs> All right, well, 
dude again super cool uh right up on this one i loved it i learned quite a bit yeah good about everything uh treasure planet i can see why it was originally you know rejected it kind of feels like atlantis in space yeah and i think on the heels of how much they felt atlantis was a bomb i think that's why they just made that call at that point mm-hmm. but such a great film yeah for those of you that haven't seen it, that that's your homework. Go watch it. Yes. It's so good. And go find out who Morphe is because you're going to fall in love with that theme. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. That's mm-hmm. hilarious. It's not the Matrix. Um, and prepare to laugh. One, one fact I didn't throw in there. <laughs> if you go watch Atlantis, the very last shot of the film is a pullout that starts on Milo and Kaida and pulls all the way out so that you can see the entire island of Atlantis. The filmmakers at the time claimed that that was the most difficult shot in all of animation history. Basically, the way they described it is that sheet of paper that Milo and Kaida is drawn on is a 16-inch piece of paper. And in that pan-out, they basically combined many, many, many sheets of paper to the point where that final shot is the equivalent of an 18,000-inch piece of paper with animated ships and waterfalls, and the intricacy of that scene is insane. They use the multiplane camera with, like, that type of effect with a crane, and, you know, they add some CG stuff, but it was still a a hand-drawn animated film. So that shot in particular, look at it, and you're looking at animation history. You know what? Um, I'm kind of surprised you didn't bring this up, Gavin. When I was watching Treasure Planet, there's a little nod to your favorite attraction. There is? I don't remember that. Yes. Tell me what it is. Uh-huh. Casey Jr. That's right. Yes, Casey Jr. Coming down it's... the track. <laughs> <laughs> there's a little nod to Pirates. Really? I don't. Well, yeah. Tell me what it is. I might remember. Let me see if I could if I could get everything right because I've only seen it once. <laughs> but there's a scene where Ben, I believe it's mm-hmm. Ben, that's going off, and he's crawling through the ship that mm-hmm. they're in, and he does the little he sings the little jingle oh, okay. to pirates. I was like, oh, that's nice. cool. All right, <laughs> you know. I don't remember that. I need to watch it again. It's been a little while <laughs> since I've watched it. Well, maybe that's what we should do. We should have like a viewing party. Oh, that'd be awesome. That'd Heck be fun. Yeah. <laughs> I'd watch it again. <laughs> I like it. We're going to have to start renting out locations and having Podcateers viewing parties. That would be fun. <gasps> Wouldn't it? Though? Oh, yeah. Just project it on the side of someone's yeah. house or something like that. Oh, my God. That'd be so great. <laughs> we could get one of those big inflatable screens. Yeah. Just get some, some mm. brats and some beer going and some... I- Ideas, ideas. Backyard it's movies. It's like a summer I know series a place, or something. Yeah. I know a place where you could get really good churros that are not from Disneyland, but they're handmade. Ooh. I will bring boxes. Nice. Saying saying it, putting it out there. <laughs> I we have churros. This. <laughs> I'm all for it. I like it. I'm, I'm there. <laughs> oh, and Dole Whip, too. <gasps> oh, that's right. From Joe's. Yeah. Dang. Who okay. needs Disney? Let's, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> There's a. Have you ever been to Hula Girls Shaved Ice? Are you asking me? No. Uh, both of I, you. I haven't. They have the no. uh, the Dole Whippy flavored stuff there too. Nice. They have the pineapple soft serve. 
<laughs> nice. Yeah. All right. I think that's going to wrap it up for this episode, guys. Gavin, thank you for that. You're welcome, sir. That was super awesome. That was a, a great way to wrap up the, the Tomorrowland talks. Yes. And uh, wrap up the, the science fiction. I'm excited <laughs> to uh, go back to the parks and tour a new area, though. Yeah. I'm looking I, forward. I would be, too. Yeah. Well, uh, before we wrap up the episode, I just want to let you guys know that our next month, we're going to be concentrating on California Adventure. Woo. Good old DCA. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In case you guys wanted to know uh, what our next theme is, there you go. We're going to kick off with DCA 1.0, followed up with 2.0, and then uh, we're going to have our good old armchair Imagineering episode after that so i'm super excited <laughs> yeah so that's going to be coming up if you guys have any comments or questions again make sure to join the conversation over on facebook instagram twitter i was I almost said facebook again and now that i've said it i realize now i've said it twice so <laughs> I, i'm just gonna roll with it so facebook facebook instagram or on twitter <laughs> <Just search> for <laughs> podcasters Tell us your thoughts on anything that we talked about in this episode, and we will share those thoughts on an upcoming episode. That's it. Go enjoy the superb owl winners. Go listen to who's going to be complaining about who cheated and who didn't and who deserved to be there and who didn't. I'm going to go have a churro. Yep. I'm going to pass on all that. (laughs) All right, everyone. So until next week. Keep dreaming, keep moving forward, and always remember to pass on the magic. Have a great week, everyone. Bye. Made you look. <laughs>